All right. Well, welcome uh, each one of you again uh, to the Lord's house, the Lord's people, and uh, great to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, before the ministry of the word, we take a few moments together to pray together um, as a church uh, for some of the needs of the church. Uh, I'd appreciate your prayer for me. I am traveling to Texas for a pastor's conference, um, and uh, it's a pastor's conference for XL Ministries. That's two letters. Um, and uh, we're using some of their curriculum for the men's um, leadership now. And also our Spring Bible uh, Conference speaker is uh, from there, from XL Ministries. So uh, he'll be there, um, and I'll, I'll see him as well. So the conference is on, uh, especially just the, what Scripture teaches about church leadership. So I'll be um, wanting to learn as much as I can from them and be encouraged. And I'll give you a report as well when I come back about how it was. And uh, my uncle Dwight, it meets at his church, so it'll be a little bit of a family reunion uh, as well for me um, as well. Um, and then, um, like Dylan mentioned, Matthew Pierce will be um, preaching next Sunday. He's an elder at our sister church across town, and I'm sure it'll be a blessing. And I'll be praying for, for you as, that, uh, as Matthew ministers in that way. Um, we're thankful to the Lord this week. For the birth of Wyatt David Spafford to Chris and Melinda Spafford, and we've been praying for that, and the Lord's answered our prayer. I talked to Chris just briefly this morning, and he said Melinda and, the, and Wyatt are doing great, and so let's just uh, keep praying that they would uh, uh, do do well, and, and the Lord's continued blessing on them. Okay, uh, let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, it's our duty, it's our privilege to tell of your marvelous character uh, and your wonderful works. And uh, we're so thankful that you are the way that you are and uh, the way that scripture tells us uh, that you are. And so uh, we're thankful that your greatness is shown in your love. And uh, we're amazed, we'll be shocked for all eternity that you've set your love on us as the objects of your love uh, though there's nothing in us to call it forth. There's nothing in us deserving uh, of it. And you've given us uh, grace upon grace to forgive us of our sins in Christ and uh, to turn us from our rebellion and cleanse us uh, from our sins as well in the process of uh, sanctification. And you give us this freely uh, as a grace, and it's ultimately that we might know you. And so we tell of your greatness in praises, like the songs that we're singing together, and also in our testimony, as we have opportunity uh, to others to tell them of the greatness of our God and the greatness of our Savior. And it's shown to us in Christ, your Son, whom you sent to die on the cross uh, for our sins and to rise again from the dead in victory over Satan and over sin and over death itself. And so, uh, Father, we praise you for this, and we pray that you would uh, show us more of yourself, cleanse us from more of the things that, uh, the sins that hold us back uh, from knowing you. And so we pray that you'd meet each one this morning in uh, the temptation, the trial, the difficulty that each one brings, that you'd minister to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, with your word uh, as well. We thank you for caring about the needs uh, of our church. We thank you for answering our prayers for um, Melinda and Chris 
and for the birth of Wyatt David. And we just pray for Melinda and Wyatt now that you just uh, cause a Wyatt to grow and to thrive and uh, Melinda to recover and do well um, as well. And we just rejoice uh, with Chris and Melinda and family uh, in this. Uh, we pray for the um, this uh, pastor's conference in Texas and uh, just pray that you'd bless, pray that there'd be a profitable thing. We pray for uh, Brian Murphy, who will be there and then later on uh, this spring is going to minister to us and pray, pray, pray that you would prepare his heart and um, uh, to minister to us and also give him the health uh, that he needs to be strong enough uh, to do it uh, as well. We thank you for uh, providing for Kathleen Hauk this week in the surgery on her eye. And we thank you that that's gone well and uh, just pray that you'd encourage her. We pray for um, her mom as well, who's very uh, dear to us. And just pray that you'd be with her in her weakness um, and encourage her uh, as well. We pray for uh, Deb Matthews, who's having a, a, a major surgery uh, tomorrow. And just pray that you'd be with her, cause the surgery to go well and uh, just give her peace uh, as she goes into it um, as well. Pray for others' physical needs. We pray for Sharon Johnson. We pray for Rebecca Spain, for Margie Morrell. We pray for uh, Dave Marks. Pray for um, Tim Copper. Pray for uh, Jim and Doris uh, Wearson, uh, Eleanor Miller, and, and others, Father. Um, and just pray that you'd meet the need uh, of each one. We pray for our country, and we bring our country before you regularly, but we pray that you would um, help us, that you should give us grace uh, in our land, that you'd turn us from our wicked ways, and that you'd cause the gospel to go out and to run and to, to receive a real hearing from people who are perhaps uh, searching, perhaps unsettled, perhaps despairing. I uh, pray that they might find a firm foundation in Christ and that you'd raise up um, churches including ours, many gospel-preaching churches all over our country and in our area as well to uh, boldly proclaim uh, Christ as we have opportunity. And we pray that you'd cause us to be uh, looking for opportunities as well and openings uh, to minister to others uh, with the message of love and the message of Christ. Uh, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, we'll turn to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. We've been going through this uh, letter verse by verse, and we're continuing in chapter 4, and uh, this morning I will read verses 9 through 12. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. We've been uh, studying this letter of... Um, Thessalonians, let me give you kind of a big picture view before we zero in uh, on this. Um, uh, it divides into two parts fairly easily. Chapters one through three is about assurance of salvation. And uh, Paul has a number of things to say to the Thessalonians, but it's uh, all focused around in these chapters about reassuring them of God's love for them in Christ. And so that's the first three chapters of the book. And then chapters four and chapter five 
are about the Christian life, are about the Christian life. It focuses on three interrelated aspects of the Christian life, starting with purity, sexual purity, then love, that's the passage that I just read, and then it goes to watchfulness, and he has much to say about the Christian duty, should be part of the Christian life of watchfulness for Christ's return and expectation of Christ's uh, return. So chapters 1 through 3 is about assurance of salvation, chapters 4 and 5 about the Christian life. Let me say that a slightly different way that I've been reminded of recently. It's a good way to look at it. You could write across chapters 1 through 3, done. And chapters 4 and 5, do. And here's what I mean by that. Chapters 1 through 3 is uh, reminding the Thessalonians of what Christ has done for them. And that's the basis of their assurance before God. It's of what Christ has done uh, for them. And Paul calls them back to resting uh, in that with great assurance and uh, boldness. And um, then chapter 4 and 5 is about do. Do purity. Do love for uh, others. That's what you do. Uh, uh, do watchfulness for uh, Christ's uh, return. So uh, done and uh, do. It's a good way of uh, uh, looking at this. And the basis of your relationship with God, the basis of God's favor towards you, the basis of the assurance that you have as a Christian is not what you're doing, but what Christ has done for you. And that's good news. And that's why in the first part of this book, Paul talks about the gospel and how that they received the gospel, which you heard from us when you received it, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what, for what it really is. God speaking to you, good news of what he's done for sinners. And what God uh, has done, he's done in love, abounding in excess to the most unworthy. That's the gospel uh, message. And he's done it from his very heart. And it's from his very character. It's a message of good news about God. And it centers on what he's done in sending his son to the cross uh, for our sake and uh, raising him from the dead that we might be forgiven, that we might be justified in his sight, that we might be redeemed, and uh, that we might be sanctified uh, as well. It's what he has done uh, for us. And so that's why we say salvation comes through faith alone. Salvation comes through faith alone. We're not saying that because uh, we're saying that uh, faith is the highest form of doing uh, that will make you acceptable and earn God's favor. No, we say that because faith is what turns away from doing, turns toward what he has done for you. And it's only faith alone uh, that uh, does that. And that's why salvation comes uh, through that. So as you go from chapter 3 to chapter 4, in a way, you're going from a focus on what is done for you. And he's reassuring the Thessalonians. You've hoped in that before fully. You've had full assurance and you should have full assurance again uh, in that. You go from uh, chapter 1 through 3 on what is done to what you should be doing as a Christian. And now we turn to that in chapter 4 and 5. But what's done for you is not forgotten. It's, like, it's not, well, forget all that, what he's done for you. And now let's focus on what you should be doing. Uh, it's remembered. And that's why uh, chapter 4 begins with the word, therefore based on what he's done for you. This is what uh, you should be doing uh, as well. And so what you do for God, in obedience to God, purity, love, uh, watchfulness, must be done for this God, the, done, the God who's done all for your salvation, the God who's done all that you uh, w- would be right with him, not to win his favor. In other words, it must be done in faith. 
lest it be offered up to an idol and considered as something offered up to an idol uh, instead. So uh, we turn to the Christian life with that uh, introduction and uh, kind of a big picture of uh, this letter uh, to where Paul, and, and this is the section, uh, we'll cover the whole section of verses 9 through 12, in which Paul exhorts the Thessalonian believers to love of the brethren. And that's something we should be doing in the Christian life is loving one another in the church, loving the brethren. And this is the section where he exhorts them to doing, uh, to, to loving uh, the brethren. So uh, three parts uh, this morning. First, we're going to look at why the exhortation to love is not needed in this church. Actually, it's in verse 9 and 10. And then second, what the exhortation to love is. And that's uh, in verse 10. And then third, the new channel in which love is to flow. Paul directs their love into uh, a channel that they're neglecting. And that's in verse uh, 11 and 12. So uh, first is why the exhortation to love is not needed. Is not needed. He's going to give it to them, but there's a certain sense in which it's not needed. And he wants them to know that before he gives them this uh, exhortation. And so I want to uh, speak on this for, for a, a little ways, uh, verse uh, 9 and uh, 10. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul says, uh, I'm going to talk about love of the brethren. It's something that you should be doing. It's a really important part of uh, the Christian life. But there's a real sense in which I don't need to nag you about this, about uh, love in, in the brethren. Uh, I don't need to tell you, at least I don't need to tell you how to have it, because you already do have it. You already do have it. You already know what it is. You already have it. You're already uh, abounding uh, in it. And so he says, as to love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. And of course, he's, he's going to write some things about love of the brethren. So it's not true in every sense. He's going to kind of redirect their love in one sense. Uh, but there's another sense in which they, they really don't need for anyone to write uh, to them and instruct them about this love for the brethren because they already have it and they're already abounding in it. They already actually do love one another. And um, that's seen in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul says this church has already become an example. So that you may, uh, he says, you uh, have received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And so uh, they're already an example church, a model church, and certainly in this all-important area of love for one another. They couldn't be an example church if they didn't love each other. So um, they're already an example church. And then when he talks to them about doing what they should be doing in the Christian life, he says in chapter 4 and uh, verse 1, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So he says to them, they're already doing uh, this. The uh, Thessalonian believers loved one another. And so when he writes to them about love of the brethren, they're not uh, strangers at all to what he is uh, talking about. And why? Why are they not uh, strangers? As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you for this reason. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And he actually uses um, one word um, and maybe even a word that Paul made up in a way uh, for God taught, God taught. He just puts that together into one word. You yourselves are God taught 
to love one another. And it's uh, probably a reference to a, a couple of scriptures, one from the Old Testament talking about the new covenant, new covenant. And I'll turn there just real quickly and read it. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 31, it sheds some light on what it means to be taught of God, taught internally of God to uh, love one another. It was a promise of God that when the new covenant um, came, uh, that this would be a part of it. Jeremiah 31 Verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not teach again, each man his neighbor. And each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And so the Lord says, there's coming a day for Israel, this nation that's failed to obey me in so many ways. That's the story of the New Testament. There's coming a day when for everybody in the nation, I'm going to write my law, not on a stone that they can look at and fail to measure up to, but I'm going to write it on their hearts so that they're going to be God taught, I think is what uh, Paul's referring to, uh, to obey me so that they won't teach people to know God because they're already know God. That's kind of what Paul's talking about um, as well. You don't have need for me to write to you. You already know this. You're already taught of God. Uh, and uh, uh, Jeremiah is prophesying this for the nation of Israel. And uh, they've not yet come into this as a nation, but the new covenant has been given to us. The same thing. It's to provoke them to jealousy. Um, after church history is uh, said and done, it's to provoke them to jealousy at the second coming of uh, Christ. But uh, this uh, has been stamped on our heart to know God, to know what he's like, to know that we're forgiven and to be like God and to, to want to do what uh, pleases him and especially in this matter of love. Uh, the Lord Jesus read this passage and commented on it. John chapter 6 and verse 45 uh, which says, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learns from the Father comes to me. And so uh, he also referred back uh, to the prophets. And then uh, John in his epistle also writes uh, about the way in which God teaches each uh, believer internally about these things. First John chapter uh, 2 and verse uh, 27 where John uh, writes, As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone t to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught, it has taught you, you abide in him. And so uh, John says to Christians, you have an anointing, and in one sense, you don't need anybody to teach you. Now, he's teaching them in this letter, and the Bible says that uh, you should go to church where you're taught uh, as well. But there's also a sense in which you don't need anyone to teach you to have uh, th what is th the love that is taught uh, by uh, God. And uh, the love that he's talking about, back to our passage, back to our passage in First uh, uh, Thessalonians, where he says, uh, as to this love of brethren, you don't need anybody to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And actually the only way to know about this love is to be taught it by God from uh, within. 
There's no other way to learn about this love. There's no other place on earth to go uh, to find out about uh, this kind of love because it's, it's a love that's not on this earth until God shows us what's in his heart by sending us his son. And, and, and here's what I mean. The love that he's talking about that abounds to excess for the most unworthy is only shown through the gospel. There's no other way uh, to learn about it. That's why when uh, Paul talks about the wisdom of the cross in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says it's something that eye has never seen. Its ear has never heard it. And it's never been conceived of in the heart of man. That's what God has uh, prepared for those uh, who uh, love him. And so it's a love that the world knows nothing about. The world doesn't have examples of this, doesn't have words for it, doesn't have explanations for it or instruction of it. It's because it's a love that abounds for the most unworthy, the most unworthy. And Paul says, that's the kind of love that God is teaching you to have for one another. That's the kind of love you should have for your spouse, a love that abounds for the most unworthy. It's the kind of love that you ha- should have for your family, kind of love that abounds for the most unworthy. This kind of love that you should have for your church is a love that abounds to excess, for the most uh, unworthy. And that's why there's a big emphasis in uh, scripture on love for enemies, because that's where that kind of love is laid bare. Uh, when you're loving your spouse, who I hope is mostly lovable, you might not know that it's a love for the most unworthy. Hopefully that's hidden from you most of the time. But when you love your enemy, you can see what it is. You can see the quality. It's a love for the most unworthy. It's a love to excess for the most unworthy. And it's the same kind of love that you're to have for your spouse or for your church, or uh, for your children, uh, if it's to be a love that is kept in the power of the Holy Spirit and to be that uh, kind of love. So when it comes to this kind of love, either you have it or you don't. Either the Lord has has taught it to you uh, or he has not. And in the case of uh, the Thessalonians, he says, uh, you have it. You already have what I'm talking about. You don't need to learn something new. Uh, You already uh, have it. And again, I want to point out this connection between what is done for you and what you are to do. It's a, it should never be, it's a distinction for sure, but it's something that should never be uh, severed because the only way you can do this kind of love is by knowing that God has done this kind of love for you and has this kind of love in his heart uh, for you. You're not going to love others more than you believe God loves you. Or you're not going to love others with a different kind of love than you believe that God has uh, for you. And why should you? Why should you endeavor to be more loving than God is, or to be to cultivate love, uh, a different kind of love than a love that God has uh, for you. So if you believe that God uh, loves you unconditionally through his son, then you have this kind of love for others. If you believe that God loves you with a, with a worldly kind of love, a, world, uh, a love that is only loves what's worthy of that love, then you're going to love other people with strings attached. And that's not the kind of love uh, that he is uh, talking about uh, here. And so this is why it's so important that you don't worship and serve an idol of your own imagination, but the God as he's revealed in the gospel. And that's true of uh, the Thessalonians. It says that they turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They had already knew uh, the service of uh, idols and uh, the worship of idols And when they turned to God, they not only turned to a different authority than the idols that they were serving and worshiping, but also to a different kind of authority. A God who is a God of love, whose love is not based on doing, 
but uh, his love is based on what he has done uh, for you. And so serving him then is a different kind of service than the service that they offered to um, to the idols uh, as well. So uh, you learn about this kind of love. You're taught of God, uh, of, of this kind of love by learning about uh, the gospel. And through the gospel, you learn that God is triune, that he's father, that he's son and Holy Spirit. You're only going to learn that by learning about uh, the gospel and what he's accomplished for you in salvation by sending his son to uh, die in your place. And as you learn that God is triune, that means that it's his nature to love selflessly. He's been doing that for all eternity. He's been doing that even before he uh, created. He didn't create to have something to love and do something new. He's uh, eternally been characterized by selfless love. So much so that he puts it on display by his love abounding to the most uh, unworthy. And that's the fellowship that he calls us uh, into. So um, it's it's only this kind of love that's taught uh, from God that has the power to turn you away from self and all the expressions of being turned toward yourself, such as the sexual immorality that he's just uh, spoken of uh, previously and to turn you actually to others to turn you to others uh, for their own sake and not just as tools for your own pleasure or for your own uh, uh, advantage uh, in uh, in this way. And uh, so uh, these these aspects of the Christian life are interrelated and uh, it's really powered by this uh, love that he talks about, uh, that he talks about here. So uh, we see um, why this uh, ex- exhortation is not needed. Uh, one reason why this exhortation about uh, brotherly love, uh, one reason why is he says, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And then he says this, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. They uh, already had love for the brothers. Uh, they're already taught by God. In fact, uh, they had more than enough for their own church. They were overflowing with this kind of love. They had no shortage of it. They even have more left over to show other churches. And so he says, you're taught by God to do this, to love uh, one another. And you're not only practicing it towards the brethren that are around you, but also, he says, you practice it to all who are in Macedonia. And so to sister churches as well. They, they uh, are already having this kind of love uh, for one another uh, at the church, and it overflows to uh, sister churches. Uh, he mentions uh, other churches in Macedonia. We only know of one that was established at this time. It's the church in Berea. It was not too far away uh, from the church in Thessalonica. But uh, perhaps they had also uh, established uh, other churches or planted other churches. There wasn't much time uh, from these churches coming into being to this letter uh, being uh, written. But uh, their love was uh, abounding uh, for other churches uh, as well. We see that later. Second Corinthians chapter uh, eight and the first four verses this is a little later in uh, um, maybe about five years uh, later. But we, we see their love wanting to to go out even to other churches besides their own. In this case, the church in Jerusalem, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, like Thessalonica. Like Berea, that's what he's talking about. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, 
begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And so this is a church that loved uh, one another uh, in the church and even loved um, other churches in the area and that continued and, and, and their love for churches even as far as uh, Jerusalem. And so all that is the reason why the exhortation to love that Paul gives here, he wants them to know there's a sense in which it's not really needed. They already have this uh, kind of love. And yet, after telling them why the exhortation to love is not needed, he gives them the exhortation to love uh, itself. And that's at the end of uh, verse uh, 10. You practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, to abound still more. You already have this kind of love, but we urge you to abound still more. You can never have too much of this love that is taught uh, by God uh, because it's the nature of this love to abound to excess. That's the nature of uh, this kind of love to abound to excess for the most unworthy. And so he tells them, he says, you already have this uh, kind of love. And I urge you, brethren, to have it still more that to the degree that the people around you are worthy of it. No, that's not the exhortation that he has. He says, I, I, you already have it. You're already doing well uh, in this. And you have this kind of love. But we urge you, brethren, to excel and to abound and to have an excess, to overflow still more. And uh, that exhortation, it's fitting to be given to the church in Thessalonica, even a great church, a church that's already very good uh, at this uh, kind of love. And I think it'll be fitting, actually, for all eternity. For us to be given that exhortation. There's never a time even for all eternity when we won't be given this uh, exhortation. You have this love. You're taught of God to give this love. When we're uh, in heaven, we'll, he'll say you're doing it perfectly. You're doing it without any sin in it. And yet, I tell you, to abound still more in it. There's more you can do. Uh, there's more you can abound in. There's more of this love that you can experience and abound in uh, still more. Scripture says, uh, now abide these three faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And the meaning is that love is going to last after faith and hope have become sight in heaven. And uh, faith is, is we walk by faith, not by sight. But we're going to see everything that we're, we have faith in when we're in heaven and uh, faith is going to pass away. Hope going to pass away uh, as well. And love will remain. Love will abide and we'll never come to the end of it. The Lord's love is an ocean. Uh, deep and vast uh, of blessing, and we never come to the end of that ocean. And so it's fitting for uh, Paul to uh, exhort even the Thessalonians to abound still more. And that's true of Trinity Bible Church, too. We're taught of God to have this kind of love for one another, the love that only comes from God. We're not strangers to it. We love uh, one another, and we have this for one another. But the need of the hour is to abound more in it to have it in excess for uh, one another so that the kindness, uh, the tenderness, the forgiveness in our heart that we have to one another uh, to meet the need of the moment. That means to meet your brother's unworthiness for this uh, uh, kind of love, that when you give it to them in the moment of their unworthiness, when, you, when it's obvious to you, they don't deserve this kind of love that you have uh, for them, this kind of kindness, this kind of tenderness uh, for them. To abound in it so that when you give it to them at that moment, they've hardly used up any of it. 
that you have for them because you have so much more uh, to give them. So you say, uh, here's the love that I have for you. And if you were 10 times more unworthy of it, I would still have more to give to you. I would still, you still wouldn't even have uh, touched uh, and used up the the love that I have uh, to give for you. So that's uh, the, um, that's, that's what he uh, exhorts the Thessalonians to have for one another, abounding love, love in excess, too much uh, of this love. And he says that you're to walk in that all the time. That's to be the atmosphere uh, of love at this church as well. The kind of love we should uh, uh, rely on and expect from one another and have for one another uh, as well as that uh, kind of love. So how will we do that? How will we do that at Trinity Bible Church? And the answer is to know God, to know God. To know that that's the kind of love that he has uh, for each uh, one of us. To know God and then to love others more than you need to. That is uh, the need of the hour. We're living through, uh, kind of by all accounts, unprecedented times. I keep hearing that. You know, we're living through unprecedented times and I think it's true. Um, uh, of course, nothing, nothing is totally new. The Bible says the spirit of Antichrist is always at work. Is also being restrained until the man of sin is revealed uh, at the end, which uh, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonian is uh, uh, going to speak about too. So it's being it being restrained. So sh- we should respect expect sudden reversals as well. We never quite know uh, what, but uh, when that spirit of antichrist, spirit of uh, against everything that Christ uh, stands for, rises to a to a, a, a pitch, it presents a challenge. For uh, the church, and uh, I was um, uh, going through scripture in in uh, another Bible study. Maybe some of you were there at the second Friday Bible study, going through Daniel chapter eleven, and it talks about another time in history uh, when the Lord's people faced uh, a time of uh, an antichrist. It was and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes um, at that point when he came and he made life very difficult uh, for. Uh, those who were uh, following Christ. And uh, it's a chapter, it's got a lot of detail in it, but but uh, this one was uh, especially helpful. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God, the people who know their God, that's the challenge of the time. That's the challenge of difficult times. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. And those who have insight among the people will give Understanding to the many. So it's a, a time of difficulty is a time to know God and a time to give to others. It's an opportunity to give uh, to others uh, as well. So let me give the, the same challenge to you that I gave at that Bible study as well, that the, uh, these times are an opportunity to know God, to really know what he's like. A time of difficulty, a time when you're pressed and squeezed is a time uh, to uh, know God better than you have before. And then to reach out to others. You have insight insight into what God is like, uh, be able to give understanding to the many who are also going through those times. And uh, perhaps uh, it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work uh, in their hearts. Okay, I only have a little bit of time uh, left. And um, the uh, what, what Paul speaks of next is it's kind of the new direction that he wants to channel this love towards. He's told them why they don't really need for him uh, to instruct them about it, at least not to introduce it to them. They already have this uh, kind of love. He instructs them to abound still more. 
to have more than they need. And uh, the next few verses are going to uh, introduce the new channel that he wants to direct this love towards. And actually, it's a neglected channel for them. It's a blind spot for them. They're they're a great church, but they're not a church without uh, blind spots. And actually, I think this is going to lead into what he has to say about Christ's return as well. But here it's uh, part of what he has to say about uh, love. So here's the new channel in which this love is to flow. And uh, we'll at least introduce it uh, this morning. Uh, verse uh, 11, uh, 12. I'll start with verse 10. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So he says, I want you to abound still more in love. And he seems to be talking about the same thing. And also... Make your ambition quietness. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, 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 a abrupt way to put it, or an unexpected way to put it, because usually a, an ambition person is might maybe a loud person. Make your ambition quietness to lead a quiet life and to uh, attend to your own business and to work with your hands, just as we uh, commanded you. Um, there is a dignity and a goodness to all honest work. And so the Lord Jesus Christ uh, himself was a carpenter, worked with his hands. During his life, the Apostle Paul worked with his hands, was a tent maker, talks about that even in these uh, epistles, and uh, tells others, if you used to steal, work with your hands, and then you're going to have something uh, to give uh, to others uh, as well. So there's a goodness to all honest work, so much so that it's the channel in which abounding love here is to flow and uh, is uh, to overflow. But I don't think Paul is just um, uh, speaking about work uh, because there were people there who considered it beneath their dignity to uh, work. And so Paul's reminding them of that and to show love to one another by working and attending to their own uh, responsibilities. I think instead what he says here about work is related to what he's about to say about watchfulness. All, all the aspects of the Christian life here are related and kind of flow into one another. So he talks first about warning them against sexual impurity. It flows into what he has to say to them about love. And then what he has to say that, to them about love is related to what he's going to say to them in the rest of the letter about their misguided watchfulness for Christ's return, their wrong eschatology, belief about uh, the end times uh, as, uh, as well. And uh, because of their misguided belief in the end times, they were neglecting their work. They were neglecting their their daily work uh, of just providing for their own needs and then uh, falling into um, into need for one another. And uh, it's it uh, that problem is going to become worse in Second Thessalonians, where he's going to have even more to say about the end times and correcting their false view of um the end times, and also uh, speaking about their idleness as well in Second uh, uh, Thessalonians. And so uh, we will get there um, uh, as well. And so uh, he speaks to them about um, uh, taking responsibility in this uh, area of their life. And then he, he says, it, he rounds it out in verse 12 with this, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. And uh, so um, he says that this aspect of their love is something that even an unbeliever can judge. 
is unloving. When you're not taking care of your own uh, responsibilities, not working with your hands to uh, provide for uh, your own uh, needs. And so this is, uh, this is uh, responsibilities that even unbelievers uh, have. Uh, the scripture uh, says that uh, Adam was to labor, and he says, by the sweat of your brow, you will um, eat bread. Um, later, uh, it says that people are to be involved in the restraint of evil through uh, being involved in human government. And later still, it says that in Genesis that human government is to operate uh, through the life of nations. It's at the Tower of Babel when uh, nations are uh, uh, broken up uh, uh, from that. And so uh, our efforts, man's efforts uh, in that, are not to transform the world from evil to good, but are merely to restrain uh, evil. And uh, But we have responsibilities to do that. Every person, not just uh, Christ, uh, non-Christians, or not just Christians, but every person has a uh, responsibility to be involved in all these, all these things that restrain evil, working by the sweat of your brow to provide bread, uh, being involved in other aspects of uh, man, all man's responsibility toward uh, restraining evil. And so when he says in verse um, 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. It's really, it's to attend to the things that belong to you, meaning to attend to your responsibilities all of your uh, responsibilities that come to you, even the ones that you share with outsiders, so that if you stop doing those uh, responsibilities, even the outsiders are going to notice that you've uh, exempted. You'll be a burden not only to the church, but even to the city uh, around you uh, as well. And so he says, uh, you're to do these things, take all the responsibilities so that you will behave fittingly, so that you'll walk fittingly even towards outsiders and not be in any uh, need. So let me put it this way. Being a Christian doesn't make you less responsible for any of the things that all, all people are uh, responsible for, but it makes you more uh, responsible. Or let me say it in a different way. Being responsible for the Great Commission, and that's the uh, a responsibility that's given to Christians only. It's, it's the special mission of the church is to make uh, disciples. Being responsible for the Great Commission doesn't make you any less responsible for all the other things uh, that God has given to uh, every human being uh, uh, as well. So uh, the measure of spirituality should not be how far removed are you from earthly responsibilities. Rather, the measure of, of spirituality is what are you doing to meet the needs of others in all of your responsibilities? It includes even taking care of yourself, providing for your own needs so that you're not a, a burden towards uh, others uh, uh, as well. Well, let me come full circle, and we've just sort of introduced that. We'll, we'll get to that um, more as we look at uh, the next topic of the Christian life, which is uh, watchfulness, and he's going to really tackle that with the Thessalonians because it's an area in which they are uh, stumbling. But let me kind of come full circle to where we were at uh, uh, the beginning of the uh, uh, the message, uh, and that is when your relationship with Christ, when your relationship with God is not based on what he's done for you, but it's based on what you're doing for him, you tend to twist even what you're doing from him into an unrecognizable form, make it a perversion of what it was meant 
to be. And so the Thessalonians, a wonderful church, but they were beginning to stray in their assurance. Instead of being assured, I'm right with God because of what Christ has done for me. They began to say, I'm right with God because when he returns, I'm going to be found watching for him. In fact, that's the only thing I need to do is just watch for him. I'm going to neglect everything else. I'm not even going to work my uh, responsibilities. I'm just going to be uh, watching for him. And so they turned watchfulness into something that it never was intended to be. It was really intended to infuse you with boldness for all the responsibilities of uh, the present time and not be a substitute for them. And so what they had done with watchfulness, because they began relying on it for their relationship with God, it wasn't an overflow of, of God's favor uh, towards them, but was something they were doing to get God's favor for them. That's why they were so afraid that if somebody died and weren't watching for Christ, that Christ returned, that they'd miss out on all the benefits of the salvation brought uh, at Christ's return. What they did for watchfulness, you can do with any other aspect of the Christian life. You can do with love. You can turn love into something that it never was uh, before. Uh, and so uh, the Pharisees were very good at that. They thought they were right with God for what they were doing, twisted all the commandments of God into something that is totally unrecognizable uh, because of that. And so the Christian life uh, were to rest in what he's done for us, that we might uh, uh, obey him in the way that he has designed, to obey him in faith and uh, with love and uh, with watchfulness uh, as well. So let me just uh, conclude by encouraging you to meet the challenges of the present time by knowing God, knowing God, knowing his love, and then reaching out to others according to all of our responsibilities. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it tells us of you and for what it tells us of your character. We pray that uh, what we learn from the gospel of your love for us might uh, give us boldness, might give us uh, strength uh, for meeting with joy, with uh, expectation, with zeal, with energy, all of the responsibilities uh, that you've given us, and that these things might be infused not with uh, uh, a, a cringing fearfulness uh, and obedience based on that, but with a real love for others that comes from you. And we pray for these, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.